Okay, here we are, season two, number ten, which is actually thirty in total, James. We've yet yeah, we've got through thirty, which is fucking incredible. Well, it's a round number, and you know what happens when we go into next year is our marketing budget after today has just gone through the roof. Yeah, and we're looking, and I've spoke to uh, a few guys over in the states at getting. We're, we're looking at Elon Musk uh, for episode one of season three, and then. Uh, all goes to plan. We're going to do like a two-part series with Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> well, James, I mean, if, if if series three starts off with those uh, those guests, they're they're pretty handy. I tell you what, been very lucky to have people that have been very generous with their time. Exceptional stories. Uh, Timbo Reed coming up uh, very soon. But I tell you, last week James Orbo was probably. It's up there in my top two or three. What a cracker condo. I mean, you got a lot of feedback during the week, I gather. Um, yeah. So did I. I think it just, I think a story like James's and, you know, I mean, you've you got to understand if you've got a story to tell, that's one thing, but you've got to be comfortable to tell it. And James came in, um, I, I, I've never met James. I, I obviously know the family from around the area, um, his mum and dad, um, but uh, came in and you know, just well, mate, emptied it. He emptied the tank. Mate, I was, I was blown away. The fact that he was, you know, taking care of his family. He's national salesperson of the year at Izuzu. And then floating in the background is this crazy addiction to pain meds, which was, you know, 90 or so Which has come about from a professional career as a rugby league player. I mean, Barnsley, yeah. you've been there. We, we spoke to Mark Matthews yeah. about it. I mean, you know, that's difficult. I feel like he's probably not. I feel like there'd be so many tradesmen or, you know, people that are all walks of life that are dealing with a lot of chronic pain. Suffering inside. Well, we're probably doing something like as well. You know, they've always had a, probably a neurofin or two when they've had a headache. So like, fuck, well, I have 10. And it gets to a stage where you, you're like, although where you're like, I might just grab 90. You know what I mean? Like it, it would get, you'd build a tolerance. So it's good for people to know what can happen when you get really addicted. And credit to him, he's kicked it and he's killed Oh, it. I think he's... he's, he's he looks uh, as fit as yeah. a fiddle now. He looks really He does. Up. Yeah, no, he looks, he's, looks like he's in a good place, but his transparency and his honesty with uh, his journeys was incredible yeah, last week. Yeah, it was week. fantastic. So I think everyone keep an eye out for BodyFit Ballina. That's obviously going to be starting up soon. His gym with his brother Mitch. And um, yeah, mate, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that story. Yeah. So uh, sponsors... Well, we actually, we've got a new one on board tonight, James. Single Gage, Fin. Gage Road yeah, Bre- Brewing. Uh, single Fin. <laughs> I don't know. What do you reckon? I reckon it's bloody fantastic. We've Mix also is pretty got, good yeah, with the with yeah. the bareback. Yeah, it does, mate. Yep. Mix is good with the uh, Lennox Pizza Pasta. And what? we tried the new uh, calzone tonight, the uh, garlic olive combo. Love it. Love them all there. Well, know. you like the margarita. You've got to try that one. It's yeah. good. I, I and like they, them uh, Woody, another sponsor of ours is advertising. 44 Constructions. Yeah, uh, they're looking. They're actually <laughs> looking for for chippies in the in the new year, Barnsley. You a chance? Uh, uh, don't do a melling. Get two years into your apprenticeship and then walk off site. <laughs> like <are> you, <laughs> you know, I reckon Barnsley be a good chippy. Yeah, he would. Uh, he would just, Jake Murphy take him? I, I have built a trellis and a uh, and a garden bed. He got a, <laughs> he got a uh, C plus in woodwork in year ten in uh, nineteen ninety three. So. Well, James, according to you, you represented uh, Raylene Castle. In her negotiations with New Zealand Sport, yeah, do you reckon you can get Barnsley? I can out of get line? him a job with, with Murph. I can get him a job for sure. What do you reckon he's hourly rate right away? Uh, well, he's going to do a healthy minds thing where it's just all charitable work. So whatever he earns goes straight to healthy minds. So that's actually a good move. Yeah. So, but right. anyway, Condo, what's going on and around the grounds? Uh, well, I, I suppose firstly, um, surf's back today. They actually surfed in a WSL event. Yeah, in uh, Maui, the girls. I think pipe trials start tomorrow. Yeah, it'll it'll probably go tomorrow for sure. Is it going to be good? 
Uh, it drops off today. But today looks sick. Today's, what was the roundup of the chicks today? Uh, Tyler got a ten. I saw. I did see that. She got online. a ten. She got a ten. She got a crazy pit. Couple of nice yeah, turns. Right. But the waves was about as good as it gets. Have you surfed there? Uh, no, I've never been there. No, but it looks like an amazing wave. It's, it was four to six foot. Really good wind. Uh, and yeah, just two chicks out. So uh, locally, um, yeah. and on. Uh, in yeah, well, I just want to give a quick shout out too. One of Archie's classmates, Lehani Zorik. She's in uh, under eights, and also Osha Curtis, twelve year old. Yeah, they oh. both won that Barton Lynch, uh, the online yeah. competition. It's a global um, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is a Barton Lynch blast off surfing comp. So basically, young kids send in a video of themselves surfing. It's worldwide, and uh, they so took out the under eight and under yeah, twelve right. uh, respectively. So. I suppose two young girls to keep an eye out and local uh, local kids coming through. Yeah, good on them. Well, Barnsey and Woody, we move on to rugby. Uh, my take, for what it's worth, um, being Indigenous, I think the lead that uh, that the Australian rugby took on the weekend was outstanding. Okay, I know there's some criticism about the um, anthem probably has to be rewritten in some form, but gee, I, I thought it was stirring. Yeah, spot on, Condo. I think it was a great initiative, mate. And well done to the playing group, first and foremost, and Dave Rennie for paying it the respect it deserved. It was outstanding. But look, I've got to be honest, when, when you put your balls on the chopping block like this, you're going to be bound to cop some criticism. And, and I think what Luttrell and Chuck Mundine are saying is fair. You know, we're, we're in the year 220 and we still don't have an anthem which recognises uh, 40,000 years of history and our Indigenous culture. So I think it's, it's pretty shit form and, you know, it's time we did something about it. But I don't think the way to do it is just to cast stones upon people who are actually having a crack. I think it's to try and find a solution. And, um, you know, we've got a song like I'm Australian, which does all the things we need it to, is represents all of Australians, 40,000 years of history in there. And um, I think it does it well if we did that with uh, potentially, uh, you know, an Indigenous language as well as an English one and we combined it like we saw on the weekend, I think it'd be a really powerful move. But look, all in all, well, I think it's created a conversation, Condo, and, and it's, a, it's something we need to do. And hats off to rugby for having the balls to step up and do 100% it. 100% hats off to rugby on that front. The one thing that I would do is I can't remember her name, but I'd... Yeah, it was young Olivia Fock. Go and sign her up for 10 years. Gee, she can sing. Can I ask a question about the actual game? Yeah. How come we have just fucking melted in these two games to win? Oh, look, I think it's a bit harsh, Woody. I th- you know, I thought the first game definitely. Look, we let a golden opportunity slip there and that could have really sealed the Tri-Nations for us, which would have been great. But on the weekend, it was piercing down with rain. They were absolutely bashing us, the Argies. And um, I thought the way Hoops stood up, um, especially once the Salakai Loto was red carded, was outstanding. So... Um, look, to put ourselves within a chance to win it with Hodgie at the end, um, I thought it was a, a pretty good effort from our boys. I think the biggest blight on the game at the moment is the team It's just The game's just too slow. Like We've just got to get the game moving. I mean, have a look at the, the change. They've got to make some changes in, to the rules. I mean, NRL this year, I mean, I don't know. So how I long, think, if you average a stoppage for you know throughout the game? It feels we like looking, 10 minutes. So are we looking at overall throughout the game 11 hours or...? <laughs> It's pretty long. <laughs> like, are they fucking deciding when to kick and Look, doing I, the tee placement for 40 minutes? I or? think the thing we've got to take into account, it's not, everyone's blaming the refs. It's not the refs. It's, it's out the of IRB. Head. So once it, goes yeah. to the, once it goes to the video ref, Gets handed down by the IRB. Things. Yep, so the IRB is responsible for it. Um, and I know there's refs out there that are refereeing club rugby games completely differently to how they ref it on the TV. So there's got to be some changes there. I think um, rugby's still a physical contact sport. It's still a brutal game, and we need to keep an element of that whilst trying to protect the players. I think the Aussies have made some good some good ground. It's a very young side. I think we do have to be patient. I think it'll be a very different um, situation, I reckon, in 12 months. Yeah, so we can, it, it'll help. Yeah. So uh, cricket, 
Coley, 12,000. Uh, they won the 2020 series. They've won the last two games, uh, both high-scoring games. Yeah, well, on, on that note, like, Coley, I just quick mention of it. I know he caught his criticism, but he just passed 12,000 runs, the first player, the fastest player ever to do it in ODI cricket. But just to mention that, Tendulkar scored 18,000 runs to his career at 4,900s. Give you this, um, Coley's just passed 12,000 with 4,300s. So, mate, I don't know, like, the best since Bradman. You've got two guys right now, Smith and him, I think, can lay claim to it. It's um, it's a pretty good time, good summer. Who would you prefer to watch bat? It's a tough one, James. Oh, you watch a lot. Obviously, of I'm going to go with Smith. He's Australian, but he fucking walks around the crease like a freak. <laughs> like he's like he's got a spider on his nuts. I don't know. <laughs> you probably Coley's a lot. You know, a lot more traditional style of batsman. But and you, and you know, the good thing about Coley, he's a villain. Like yeah. he's one of those guys that you, you need. You need those storylines to create something. I think I mentioned it last he week. That. He just signed a deal for a hundred mil with Puma. It's, he's doing all right. I think he. I think you got to look at uh, around the world where they like playing outside their home country. I think Smith's yeah. got a better average, yeah. and he's yeah, scored okay. more tons. Good point. So that would be the only nod you give him. But Coley's fucking out of his mind. He's pretty good. Well, tonight uh, he's not a cricketer. He did have uh, some junior sports that he actually did. Uh, you know, was pretty good at. Um, we welcome Timbo Root, uh, 2016 World Champ, Aussie Champ. Uh, nine years running, you've had three wins, so you've totaled 30 wins, uh, I think 31st in your short form, uh, Ironman, um, ridiculous career, uh, welcome to the shed. Welcome, Hi, mate. <laughs> Thanks, fellas, no, it's great to be here. Is he drinking that, uh, he's got the single, he's on the single fan. Oh, I thought he was on the island beer. It's a shame you didn't. No, the island beer was for you guys. That was my treat. I can't, <laughs> oh, af- right. I can't afford to drink it myself. It's, it's too expensive. Bring, bring gifts too. It's well, nice. you didn't. You didn't start on Lord Howe, but you started down south, and then you moved to Lord Howe. I mean, was it a, was it naturally that you sort of moved into um, becoming, you know, having a bit of a future in triathlons on Lord Howe? Is that where it? Yeah, the it's first funny. Place was? I, so I did grow up in a small country town in Tumut, and it was always team sports down there. And my parents moved to Lord Howe Island, and I was eleven, and. Bit of a shock to the system, no team sports and I, but you know, it was bare feet everywhere, just surfing, swimming and riding a bike around. And so I think a lot of people come from a background of competitive sport and I didn't really have that background, it was just a means to get around and if you didn't ride your bike, <laughs> you were sort of pretty limited to where you could go on the island. So that a was probably my... A car's or what? A car's banned? On it They're or not what? banned but it's 25k an hour max speed limit. So as a kid, you'd rather get on your bike and ride 30. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. 25k limit? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Um, if you're on a fast bike, I, I never take a fast bike over there because it's, it's just too fast for the cars. <laughs> Do you still visit? Yeah, so the old man only left at the end of last year after 27, I don't know how many years, but so yeah, we'd go back every year. It's just no mobile phone reception, barely any internet. Uh, it's just a step back in time and the best place to unwind at the end of every year. You just, yeah. And, you know, you, you grow up with that sense of community and... To get back involved with that, and straight away you slot back in, and yeah, I miss the place every day, honestly. Really, yeah. really. So where is it? Is it directly off Coffs or off Port? Yeah, east of Port. So four hundred k east of Port. Yeah. So is that where you'd fly from to get over there? Or? No, you could fly from Port, Sydney, or Brisbane. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you uh, you ended up in Sydney for your schooling? Yeah, I went to boarding school in Sydney. Um, just 
no high school on Lord Howe. And frankly, I was just stoked. I was pretty over my parents at that point. So <laughs> <laughs> Happy to get off the island. Yeah, I just needed a bit more freedom. And boarding school was, gave me that. And honestly, I just looked at the, you know, my parents were pretty good. They gave me a choice of schools. And I looked at the sports program at that school that I went to. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm coming here for sure. And I, I genuinely loved it. So, so where, where did you live? I went up? to Barker in Sydney. Yep. Yeah. On the North Shore there? Yep. Yeah. So, mate, you're, you're a handy basketballer. You played a bit of – throw your hand at rugby as well. Yeah, I played it. I, I was uh, definitely not handy now, but I played – I grew up – because of those years in Tumut where I just – I was one of those kids who just had a ball in my hand from, you know, as long as I could remember. And I'd bounce a ball the whole way to school, bounce a ball home, and I just, like, just loved basketball. And then that sort of worked out all right with rugby. There was one big limiting factor, and that was my size. <laughs> it's a perfect size for a halfback, mate. I just – um. Just on that note, you must be the only elite, well elite sort of distance athlete I've read on that actually is handy with a ball in their hands. Mate, I've played Burkle over there in basketball. I've played a lot of guys, and uh, yeah, endurance athletes are shit with a ball, mate. What are they? <laughs> are they usually really unco? They just, they just, yeah, they're, they're normally like slow twitch dudes who've just, yeah, right. It's just not part of their. So is Burke slow twitch unco? He's he, he's pretty slow twitch. He, he's actually we've, he's improved a lot. I mean, he's been I've given him a few lessons. <laughs> <laughs> he actually shoots pretty well. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. It's funny you touch on that. I read Armstrong's book and Tyler Hamilton's. Both of them said basically I took up triathlon and, and racing because yeah. I couldn't yeah. catch a ball. Yeah, yeah. Like but I mean, it. but also yeah. they were. I, I mean, I'm five foot nothing. You know, yeah. like I remember I was about sixteen and. You're always one of the better kids in the year at most sports. And then I just remember suddenly I was the shortest on the court and it drove me bloody insane. I was like, suddenly you're not the best anymore. And yeah, and as a super competitive guy, it just got me down big time. And then I remember I actually read Lance Armstrong's book and it sort of oh, st- yeah. stuck in the back of my mind. Oh, there's other sports out there that might suit midgets. <laughs> <laughs> you, you read it. It had a massive effect on you. Yeah, man. Yeah, I read it. I loved it. I yeah. remember like... Never watching a fucking cycling race <laughs> in my life. And then all of a sudden I was following every night of the Tour de France. And that was towards the end of the ones he was winning. I think his last one was like 05 or maybe 06, his last win. He came back in, wasn't it 04 that he came back? So he must have, yeah, oh, okay, sorry. So yeah, that was the end of his that when he was yeah. playing. Anyway, yeah. I, I remember just going like, fuck, how good's this? But yeah, he that book was amazing. I really got a lot out of that book until... He was on Oprah saying, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I fucked up. <laughs> He's definitely cheating the whole time. <laughs> yeah. What is your take on Armstrong, just quickly? Oh, that's a good one. Like, I, I think uh, he was in an era where I would say everyone in the top ten in the tour was doing something and to different levels, I don't know. But so on that side of it, I sort of don't find it. I, I don't judge him that harshly. I think he should have got a life ban, but so should have all those other guys. And yeah. they didn't. The difference was he was an arsehole. Yeah. And he ruined people's lives. And while that's not criminal, I think it's cut, still come back to bite him because other guys, they all took those steps and made that decision. And, but they just didn't, they didn't go after people like he did. And I think the, the biggest thing that annoyed me about the way, you know, he just still doesn't recognise, I still don't think he really recognises yeah. what he did wrong. You, you can know. even listen yeah. to him on the Joe Rogan podcast yeah. like a couple, maybe a year or two years ago. Yeah. And he still kind of just like bats around it a bit. It doesn't sound like he's... Yeah, but at the same time, people, they say they gave him a life band because he was the mastermind and he was the leader. I'm like, mate, these guys are all grown men. Everyone makes their own decisions in life. You know, if someone peer pressures you to do something and and you're 
28 years of age, it's your decision, not his decision. So yeah. I still think he should have got a life ban. I just think they should have given them all life bans. Yeah. yeah. So your decision yeah. to get into uh, Ironman uh, triathlon sort of career, was that based off your first girlfriend? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> interesting actually. Um, yeah, there was a PE teacher at school or a rugby coach, or I can't remember which one. You were a student and... So <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, I just... <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, and so I knew uh, I was pretty good at the fitness side of things. And then my, I was really inspired by a guy on Lord Howe Island actually called Phil Whistler. And his daughter happened to be quite attractive as well. <laughs> so we were dating and he was doing Ironman triathlons. And he got me into an Ironman after school. I think had maybe 12 weeks training. And he bought me a bike and said, let's go and do this. And we literally just lined up at this Ironman and got through this race and I was just like, this is epic. This is, I was so pumped and, and uh, yeah, we just got through it together. I was absolutely terrible. I remember getting through the swim, taking all my gear off, like fully naked in the thing, putting on a, <laughs> putting on a, putting on a cycling kit, packing a few Vegemite Sangers in the back pockets. That's all time. That's <laughs> like that time. That I remember like getting off the bike thinking, this is easy. Like I was going pretty good. 10k into the run, cruising, and then literally walked 30 kilometres up to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> mate, how old were you and where was it? That was, I was 18 then in New Zealand in Taupo. Wow. And yeah, I took a two-year break after that. <laughs> <laughs> so where's your tattoo, mate? Yeah. <laughs> so was it, but did you get the tattoo before, the, before or after you finished? <laughs> what tattoo? <No. laughs> yeah, so it's a bit embarrassing, but, like, it'd be like you getting a massive surfboard down your back or something. I don't know. But in triathlon, you know, so I thought it was going to be a one and done thing. I could just tell my mates I did this Ironman when I was back playing rugby, and you know, and so we we said to each my girlfriend at the time, "Oh, if we finish this race, we'll get the Ironman tattoo on our back." Got the Ironman tattoo, and I thought, "Yep, cool, like that's done." And about two years later, I really got into the sport, like came back into it, and realised this is the most uncool thing (laughs) you could you could ever do. (laughs) So I went back into a tattoo parlour. And there was this big Islander dude, and I said, mate, I, I need something to cover up this tattoo. <laughs> he goes, oh, what are you, what about a turtle? I'm like, yeah, put a turtle on there. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking so good. So did you actually have two years off? Oh, uh, yeah, I was just like, it was just After one of those tick one? the box, and, yeah. and I still sort of did a bit of training, but I never really, I didn't take it seriously at all. And then I started to get into it after that when I was starting to get a bit of a beer belly and wondering what I was going to do. Like, I was still playing a few team sports, but drifted out of that and went... I'd, and did a few short ones and realised, oh, actually, I'm way better at this than I thought compared to the Ironman race, so... Did it come naturally? Um, yeah, it did. I think the first couple, I was uh, maybe top three in, in the short races, so... It, I, and I was always, even in team sports, I was always the better player in the back half of the, the second half, you know, so... It came, yeah, it came pretty naturally, the short stuff, and the long stuff didn't come naturally at all. That was a lot of hard work. Does it come, like the long stuff, does it, is it natural for anyone? Like any oh, of those top well, guys? Like when you guys inv- interviewed Tim Burkle, mate, he's just a freak at after four hours. And, you know, I'd say I had this talent that I could go really well for an hour yep. or two hours, and, but then I just didn't. That, it took me years to get to the point where I could race even up to four hours well. And so, then it took even longer to get to eight hours as well. So yeah. you're looking at like instead of disciplines through the long stuff, you're looking at hours? Like are you kind of – you guys like, all right, fuck, it's two hours in, I'm feeling good. And then you go, oh, fuck, here comes four hours. Is it kind of like that instead of like where you are 
Yeah, no. I, I just think some people can just yeah. I, some people are more gifted at just six hour plus races, and yeah. some people are more gifted at an hour to two hours. And yeah. I think both are trainable. Yeah, I think definitely the the shorter got the shorter distance guys can train to be longer. It's just a it's just a longer yeah, process. it's a longer process. Yeah, it takes a good ten years of training, I reckon. Is that do you guys train on like when like like you said when you're going to change over to different discipline? Like, are you do you have like do you practice fucking ripping ripping your weddy off and putting on your bike shit or is it all underneath ready to go like how? every time i have six beers just like <laughs> all the clothes come off <laughs> no, but you, you no. do that like obviously no you, train, you do you, you do, do training yeah. the transition stuff it's, it's funny the, the shorter the distance the more important it is yeah. so definitely like for iron man you, you're not really that worried yeah. about it but uh yeah the shorter races it's something you have to practice all that little things because yeah. that can be the difference i mean so you're not getting nude any like you're not getting no, completely no, no. nude. And no, now it's all now it's all yeah, every second counts through transition yeah. for sure. See where your interest lies, uh, James. Um, <laughs> so oh nine ten, you sort of move out of the age brackets and you move into the into your pro your pro run. Um, I mean, where did the consistency come about? Because you went on a tear for I mean nine years where you've had minimum three wins, four wins some years, even in those early years. Um, I think a, a lot of it was desperation. I, like I didn't have the sponsorship that some of the other guys had. And so uh, I would – I think there was uh, honestly just a bit of desperation to keep it going. I mean the first – To make your career. Yeah, early. and just to make it to the next race. Like I think um, not, not having the background in the sport, you're sort of an unknown coming in. And I remember going to America and just – literally lining up sometimes on races going if, if if i don't go top five in this race i'm i'm on a flight back because i'm down to my last three grand that's and that's phenomenal man that sounds a lot like the golfers and things like that i think people what's the what's the, the image between like a pro guy and an age grouper like i know there's a bit of competition with that go dig into that for us like oh in terms of what, what do you mean exactly well, like, it's like you guys what you have to battle what three or four years before you're going to get your pro card or someone's going to actually sponsor you don't you yeah i think i think the misunderstanding is just how that the pros just live this life of training sleeping you know eating and i'd say the bulk of pros are, are in the position burks and i were in you know 10 years ago where you're just trying to survive each week and the stress of that financial stress of just not knowing if I can, should I put down this money on this flight? Should I? And then there's this huge gap to the guys that are doing, obviously doing well, where you're getting everything covered and, you know, good sponsorship and whatever else. And once you're in that, once you reach that point, life gets, it becomes a really fun, easy job. But the early years are freaking hard work. And, mate, you were teaching as well, weren't you? You worked as a pharmaceutical rep. Like, what other jobs did you have? Yeah, that oh, that was when I was, when I was an amateur, I was a teacher and uh, did a, a year as a pharma rep and, um, I was just basically doing what I could to to keep. I actually just saved up some money so I could go pro. Basically, um, ironically, the first year I think I'd saved up twenty grand, went to the states, and I, I did all right. Like the prize money wasn't that bad, or throughout the year it wasn't that bad. But I still was twenty grand in debt by the end of the year. Oh, so then the next year you just you know it was. But I saw what guys could do. Like uh, you know I saw that there was in America especially there was sponsorship there. You just had to had to hang in there and. Uh, just make yourself known and be a, a little bit, you know, different in the way I did things, you know, wearing the budgie smugglers, stuff like that. Yeah. It's just a way to get a little bit of marketability. So that's not common, market. isn't it? You wear suits. A suit's a massive advantage. Like, and you decided to wear the budgies? Like, oh, at the time, I didn't know it was a, an advantage and I, I'm still not sure. Like, if you've got, 
you've got heaps of people cheering for you because you look like an idiot, that gives you almost yeah. a bit of an edge, I feel. Like, uh, I've always felt like you get more crowd support compared to being in a tri suit because you're just like, look at this guy, you know? That's awesome. And fucking yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, when you talk about the numbers, I mean, how many guys in the top echelon are, are making a good earn? Sort of, say, when you started out opposed to now. Like, oh, I reckon, I reckon when we were, um, maybe even five, six years ago, maybe, what are you, 60, 70 guys, you reckon, were doing all right? And now it's down to probably 30, 40 guys are doing okay. And then there's... And that's globally. And then 25 are probably doing well and three or four are doing really, really well. Yeah. And that's all based off rankings? Uh, it's, based off a, it's based off a lot of things, but mainly just... Yeah, I think... Um, sometimes a little bit of luck, and but all in nearly always. If you're winning the big races, you're doing really well. So that's the that's the biggest thing, I think. So you move through those early years, um, you know, say ten to fifteen, sixteen. Um, obviously, in your physical peak. What about mentally? Like, what were you doing there to sort of harness that? Because I mean, you are known as someone who's very mentally tough. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I don't know if there was any real training on that side of things. I just think you're either born being a, not being good at losing, <laughs> or you know, you just you're just a bit. I just think there was always that uh, over competitiveness there. That um, I mean, you guys probably grew up the same. I remember any neighbour that came into my house, I'd create an obstacle course that we had to race, or we'd have to play basketball, we'd have to play footy, and. You know, like that was just what I did. Everything was always a competition, and uh, so I don't know. I don't think it was honed. I don't think it was trained. I think it's just, just the way the way I am. Do you yeah. think it's not, look, look that mental resilience, that ability to just <coughs> compete and not want to lose? Like, is, do you think it's, you think it's inbuilt or can it be trained? What is it? Is it nature nurture? I don't know. I don't know. I'm interested in your yeah. thoughts on that. I've I've often wondered about it. I mean. Off the top of my head, I'm probably like that for half an hour, but for fucking eight hours, <laughs> after, <laughs> after swimming 5Ks, riding 180 and then run it, like, that's fucking pretty, that's crazy shit. But, but how did your, I mean, your, how did your upbringing differ to, say, Timbo's? Because you're super competitive. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know, mate. I just, I, I, I thought it can be trained in people, but I don't know whether it's just naturally ingrained. I hated losing. I spent. But you most mean of my naturally time, ingrained in, well, in your upbringing and well, your byproduct of, of your environment? Yeah, I think so. But I spent most of my childhood on my own. Like kids that come over for birthday parties, and I'd be just hitting the ball against the wall, and everyone's going, "Like, what are you doing?" So you weren't having any cake. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <having>. <laughs> but seriously, like I spent a lot of it just making up games by myself or creating it with the guys around me in order to do the same thing. It was Were you similar compete. to him? Yeah, no, it was just always. I mean, my parents didn't let me watch TV, and I don't even know if I would have, even if they did. But it was just always a competition, and I just that was that was how I got my thrills was just playing someone in something or racing something or. You know, I just think it, I think it's just in you, and I I do think you can get um, you can train definitely pain tolerance and things like that, and you know you gain perspective from things. So I would I struggled with Ironman for years, just with the distance. Like I'd so be, longer, I'd be so aggressive, I'd be so aggressive. I could never, yeah, the long form, the Ironman eight hour plus races, I could never hold back in the first three hours. Too aggressive, and then I'd have nothing left to give after four hours, and I think. The only benefit to even doing those races when suddenly when I raced four hours, mentally that was nothing. You're like, well, that's, you know, put it in perspective for me. You've yeah. trained your brain to think, you know, you'd race a four-hour race and it'd feel like a one-hour race. So I think the brain's very trainable in that regard. Uh, but in terms of competitiveness, I just think it's either, 
you know, I've got a twin sister. She's not at all like me, you know, same, same genetics in many ways, but just not the same. So it can't be upbringing. <laughs> so you move into your breakout year 2016. Um, you have a loss of a very good mate um, yeah. prior to the Aussie, Aussie title. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was actually, um, I didn't realise it at the time, but, and I still don't know for sure, but he came up and stayed with us in Byron when I was living up there and I was doing my final training sessions and we hadn't hung out much in the last couple of years before that, but he was clearly making a big effort to spend time with me and he did, he mountain bike next to me for my last couple of bricks and he was supposed to come to the race for, um, yeah, he was supposed to come to the race for, for that event and I was, um, he's just making a huge effort to spend time together and I feel like I didn't really recognise why at the time but it's almost like he was saying goodbye and then the week of the race he, he took his own life and uh, it was a massive perspective change for me you know I'd, I'd been so selfish for 10 years just wanting to be a pro athlete um, and then I think I realised that you know like it was you know everything was about the win and I'd never done well in Ironman races and I remember getting on that start line thinking it doesn't really matter. if The wind was not important at all. It's like all I have to do is just make sure that I'm suffering from the beginning to the end and just do not give up. And I remember going through that race and just being the most mental... Like I, it, was, it was even a last-minute decision to do an Ironman. It wasn't a, I hadn't done, really done the training, but I feel like mentally that was the one race where I was in the moment the whole time and just being like, almost just out of respect to him and just people actually have real issues and all I have to do is ride a bike and swim and run. It's just just suffer and don't overthink it. And I remember getting to the finish and it was just like one of those magical races where I, I got through it. Like mentally, I just first time I hadn't cracked in an event and I, re- I really feel it put it down to that huge perspective shift in you realise that sport's just, it's sport, you know. It's not, you, you grow up, you know, you create this world where you think it's everything and then pretty soon you realise, you know, it's important to really try hard and give your best, but it wasn't uh, – the, the outcomes didn't matter that year. I remember I was just – just the, for that entire year after that point, it was just the best, most enjoyable racing time of my career because I remember going into every race just going – who kept, like, I used to be terribly anxious. I wouldn't sleep for two days going into races. I remember just – getting on the start line, just being excited to suffer, like really, really looking forward to it. And, yeah, and it's, you know, I'd love to say that that mentality lasted the whole time. In fact, I th- you know, you have those moments where you still get like that, but I didn't have a run of mentality like that. Definitely not. So when you look back on, say, you touch on sort of being in the, in the moment, like for a professional triathlete, what is that? Yeah, I, it's... It's about not thinking up the road. It's like, what do I do right here and right now that I need to be doing? Is my heart rate where it should be? Have a, is it 20 minutes in, do I need my gel now? Is it, you're not thinking, oh, shit, Clayton Fattel's 15 minutes up the road or Tim Burke was behind me and he's a freak on the run or, you know, you, you're not, you just, those thoughts don't even come into your head. And unfortunately, most races they do. But when you can clear that, I feel like that's when you, you can actually unleash your physical potential. Uh, but it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And I, I reckon I've done it, I do it a couple of times a year now. Whereas the, that first time I accessed it, it was just, and I think the confidence built on confidence. You're like, well, I've, I've had a good year now. It's just more 
just just go and suffer again, you know, and see what happens. So, it'd be so tough to get to that. Like, mate, I get demons in an eighty-minute footy game. Imagine being on a on your own out in a dark hole in your mind, and where you'd go to. In, in <laughs> some ways, that was I think it was almost the the most comfortable place because you don't, you know, it's like uh, getting a tattoo or, you know, when you're dealing with just something that's slightly annoying but happening right there, you can't think about too much about the bigger picture. Especially it's if it's a turtle tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> that one hurt a lot less than the Iron Man tattoo. That Iron Man tattoo still hurts me every day. <laughs> so for the back end of that year, so you win the Aussie title and then obviously that was a very emotional and a big win and then you win the World Champ, 70.3 70 short course. Yeah, Iron Man. just uh, just a, yeah, one of those crazy days where literally – you know, three hours up the road in Malulaba and I uh, had my whole family there and, uh, I mean, I don't, yeah, it was just one of those days where I, I went into it not feeling any pressure. I remember sleeping re relatively well. I, I still had, like, my usual couple of little panic attacks and everything else, but I remember waking up and my coach said to me, he's just like, all this is is just an opportunity. And I remember thinking, yep, I'm just going to just use it. It's... Whatever happens, happens. The year before, I reckon I'd gone into the race fitter. I was ranked number one at the distance and I completely stuffed it. And I reckon it was pure psychology. I just didn't sleep for three days. I what do you so mean by stuffed it? You just went out of the gates too hard? or Anx Anxiousness? I, I overthought the taper. I moved way too far out of my usual routine. Yep. Um, I was trying to probably starve myself to race weight instead of just getting there through being fit and healthy. And so... And I just overthought it, yeah. So what do you mean by race weight? Like you drop five to six kilos before yeah, you race? Yeah, about the same like weight as Condo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's especially in that four-hour distance, the half Ironman, you weight's really important on the run. Really? Less so, I think, in Ironman because it's more about being strong and a diesel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I'm 62 kilos, I've, I can run, I think, somewhere between 110 for the half marathon. And 112, and yeah. if I'm 64 kilos, it's more like 112 to 114. Like, it makes that yeah. big a difference. Really? Wow. The problem is, you lose too much weight, your too swim weight. starts to get crap. Yeah. So there's a whole balancing act, and also, you don't want to get there, you don't want to be holding that weight for too long, because it's very stressful on the body. Yeah. You know, it's like fighters, they... Yeah, you know, yeah. they might they might get down to eight for just Some for of them have to go to emergency and of get course. Like shit. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. It's yeah. a very scientific yeah. approach, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately... We all like to pretend elite sports healthy, but just ask Barnsley how many surgeries he's had. Yeah. It's not it's it's not always a healthy way to be. And 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 when you're racing, if you wanted to race the most consistent year possible and have good results throughout the year, you probably wouldn't do it too much. You'd stay around that healthy body weight and you'd you'd race solid. But if you want to have that peak performance, that's just a a one off. I'm going to give it everything, even yeah. if it means I'm a bit average for the next eight weeks. Then yeah, unfortunately you got to get pretty yeah, bloody gotta, lean. Yeah, you got to get light. So if yep. you walk around at seventy kilos, are you trying to get down to sixty-five for those short? So how yeah, much around are you trying peak, to lose peak race is like 62, 63 for me. Yep. And I'll normally be when I start a block 66, 67. Yeah. Okay. So, so are you trying to lose a kilo a week through training or? Nah, I'll probably drop. I'll be probably be about sixty-five before the taper. Yep. And then I'll drop weight as the training stress drops. Otherwise, it's too hard on my body. Oh, so okay, from three yeah. weeks out, yep. I'll pretty much drop a kilo. So the, the taper is three weeks? Yeah, for, a bit, for your peak race, yeah, three weeks, yeah. So you talk about the tapering, um, 
breakout result winning the Aussies, then you win the world champ, short course, 70.3. I mean, was there anything different about your, your process or your preparation? No, I think... Uh I think I was a lot fresher. I actually did my – I did a big block in Bend in Oregon, big training block. Had Altitude? So, yeah, it, was, it wasn't super altitude. It was enough that there's a benefit but not super high. And uh, I came back and actually had uh, a few weeks there where I had my wisdom teeth out and they said to me – because anyone tells me to do something, I, well, I just tend to struggle with moderation of anything. He told me rinse it out a few times. And I just, so I just rinsed it like every 10 minutes and the scabs couldn't form and the nerves got really exposed. Oh, mate. So it was the worst pain so I've ever had. I remember sitting at dinner with people. Air just hits it. Uh, and I couldn't talk to them. And I just like would get out and I just said to my wife, we were in town. And I just said, I'm just going to walk home. I walked all the way back to Suffolk Park. It's <laughs> like, so I just can't, couldn't deal with it. And uh, so I just had to stop training for a couple of weeks. Oh, probably not even a couple of weeks, maybe like seven or eight days in the middle of the taper. And uh, obviously I was pretty stressed about it. Went back to the dentist furious. <laughs> and then, <laughs> Who was the local teeth puller? <laughs> no, nah, he, he said to me, when I, he, goes, he goes, oh, I told them not to change that advice on the sheet of paper. And I was like, oh, a bit late now. But the good thing was it made me just actually stop training for a few days. And I think sometimes we, especially in world chance mode, we just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And I came out of it, did another week or two of training, and I felt really, really good. So I think uh, it was that was probably one big difference was I got fresher, even though I had a really good base of fitness. Uh, that also probably helped me get pretty lean. <laughs> just take us back. tree couldn't eat. Just take us back to that day, mate, because from all the reading I did in the research, many people say that's one of the greatest races they've ever seen from an Australian period, like in triathlon. So you're racing against the German great. Was it Seb Keenel? Is that yeah, Sebastian Kinley, my yeah, Kinley. son's favourite athlete. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So, mate, you got down, you're thinking 70 point. The 70.3, so you've been going for hours and it comes down to a sprint finish. Talk us through it. Yeah, so I'd raced in uh, California maybe seven, eight weeks before and I was in really good form but I was too aggressive and I just kept surging on. We had like four guys with us, uh, Craig Alexander, you know, five-time world champ and another couple of guys who had all had world titles and I was like, it was a really epic race and uh and I was feeling awesome, so I just kept whacking them with surges, whack, you know, and then they'd bridge back up, and then I'd go again, whack. 2K to go, I'm just dead. And I remember in the, in the World Champs, Sebi was doing exactly the same thing that I was doing, and I just let him go each time and slowly got back to him, and then he'd go again. And I thought, oh, this is exactly what I did. And sure enough, 2K to go, he had like 50 metres on me, and everyone said, oh, you made this big comeback, and I didn't. I just kept my pace. And he just came back to me and then we just had, yeah, a bit of a... I knew every time we'd gone over this hill, I, I'm really good downhills and I'm not so good uphills and he'd always put a gap on me up the hill and I'd always closed him on the downhill. And I said, all I have to do is not lose that gap on the uphill and then on the downhill I've always had good leg speed. So I just... How, uh, how long was the hill? Oh, how not, a, not an epic hill, but it's when you're running and pretty tired, you know, probably going up from to the uh, point up there, you yeah. know, like just from the... Yeah, from the flats. Yeah, from yeah, the flats, right. yeah. So I guess a couple hundred metres. 200 metres, yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember, yeah. You just, talk, like, when you're racing like that, 
and even in the one before that where you ran out of gas, are you talking shit? Are you like, come on, you fucking... Uh, <laughs> you know, like sledging, you, yeah, you sled, Like, are you guys... Like, do you say anything or not really? No, nah, he was... We were both really scared of a guy called Lionel Sanders and we were getting splits and we just were waiting for him to come through. And uh, his wife was shouting out German time splits to him and he was translating it to me. So we were just both like, right, let's sort of... Because the first first lap we were working together, I'd take the wind, then he'd take the wind, and yeah, we were just right. like, let's just make this yeah. a Sick. two horse race. And then it was only, yeah, it was only on the second lap that he started doing. Are you good mates? I really like him. Hey, he's a, yeah. he's a he's um he's German, so he's, he's different. Ge- I was going to yeah. say he's not your typical German, but I don't mean that in a negative way. But he's very funny. He's got a real sarcastic Australian sense of humour, and he's he's just been the man on the cor- around the courses for. So long, you know, he's just a, yeah, he's, he's a really cool guy. And uh, I do remember there's a local guy who uh, does floors around here called Damien Davis, Jugs. Yeah. And he's, drive, he's riding his mountain bike along behind the crowd and I just hear him, he's got this real raspy voice from all the flooring chemicals. He's like, come on, read here. And he just starts throwing the C-bomb at me. He's like, come on, yeah. And I look over at him, I thought, I'd better give him a glance and I just see him. Collide <laughs> 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 and go flying over the handlebars. <laughs> and uh, that's that like out of a Happy Gilmore movie <laughs> or something. <laughs> what did he hit? What did he hit? I'm not sure, but An he old was... lady. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How embarrassing! <laughs> but the, she just the, walked out of bingo. Mate, the, the abuse I was getting on that course was just so Australian. You know, like yeah. e- everyone's going to Sebi. You? Like, come on, Sebi, and the, all the Europeans are saying really nice things and the americans are like way to go man and then the aussies were just like giving it to me like come on read it you're effing fucking <laughs> it's just so so typical well, most of, of them would have been queenslanders <laughs> yeah <laughs> different country oh mate that's unreal so when yeah. you cross that line mate what was that one is that the greatest win you think you've had in your career oh to i funnily enough like i sort of the, the Ironman win into the, that yeah. year was actually probably slightly more special for me because I had so much more doubts with that on. distance. And everyone had always said, oh, he's too fast twitch. He's never – you know, Ironman's not his thing. And, and I'd had two top tens at World Champs and 70.3. And I sort of – I always had the belief that if things went well, I could do it. And amazing moment, don't get me wrong. But I think that with, the, with my friend and everything mm. else, that, that Ironman was still to this day the most special thing, even though – it was, you know, a quarter of the money or a tenth of the money and it's just you, you can't really pick it. I think I think when you do something that you didn't really even – you didn't deep down believe you could do, that's that's one of those moments where you, you sort of – your highlights of your career. So you talk about the fact that you you would go – I mean, prior to that breakout year, you might go like a couple of days where you're not sleeping much, super anxious. Um, you probably haven't listened to it, but we had Mark Matthews on a couple of weeks ago and he talks about, you know, that whole, you know, environment of coping with fear and anxiety and whatever. I mean, what have you done to sort of cope with that that works for, for Tim Reed? Yeah, it's it's a funny one because, you know, obviously there's that theory of optimal arousal. I've, I've been into races this well, even this year. has that re- <laughs> yeah, regularly. <yeah>. But uh, <laughs> if you're too pumped up, if you're too pumped up, it's not real good. And if you're not pumped up enough... Yeah. That's not much good either. Yeah, I just try and stay really level in that <laughs> fucking red hot pumped up zone. <laughs> no one's around, it's just oh. <laughs> um, No, I mean I, I think uh I got into a lot of meditation and 
I'd love to say I kept doing it all this time, but leading up to that race after 2015 and having a meltdown, I made sure every day I did 20 minutes of just lying in bed and doing mindfulness or mindlessness, whatever you want to call it. And <laughs> so who taught you that? Just you? Uh, I just I just listened to enough yeah. top dogs who'd said that they'd found it really helpful and downloaded an app and just did it did it myself and it was it was really good. Like I think it's um, I've started to even get back into it a bit now. You know, I just think it's something that I've needed especially this year and i'm not real good with it like but i'll do it a couple of times a week when i get some time are you better now with your with like not sleeping before races since you've done you know so many and you're so far down the track with it yeah i think that's what i was saying almost with being in that optimal state of stress i think sometimes even this year like with cans this year i almost slept too well i wasn't nervous enough i didn't believe that it's, it's not conditions that really suit me and also Having already done two Ironman preps that were cancelled that year, I hadn't really done the work. Yeah. And so, I don't know, if for some reason that didn't... I feel like I almost want to get more stress now for the races this year. I don't. I hope it's not a sign of things to come because it was an unusual situation for me. But I think, yeah, I've, I've, I don't really... I don't have the same issues that I used to yeah, have, that's so for sure. Yeah, like you're not freaking out. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're known as the tinkerer, basically, <laughs> on the, the whole triathlon tour, like, mate... Mm. How do you tame that beast, that obsession with having to have everything inch perfect? Like, you changed three tyres a race. Like, what's Pull, yeah. pulling, pulling your bike apart the night before. Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, that this is part of the anxiety cycle. Yeah. And that was where, you know, like, my coach in 2016 was like, do not touch your bike the week out from the race, you know. And uh, it's just been a – that's been the battle. Like, I just start to think, oh, I need to fix that. I need to do that. But because I can't lie in bed and rest, you know, like, it's just it's, – it's, it's ruined heaps of races. But at the same time, there was also a time when I'd look over at Burkle's bike and I'd be like, oh, mate, that tyre choice, that dude. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you well, have you ever done it where you're tinkering so much you're fucking riding and your pedal falls off or something like yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> I forgot to tighten yeah. it up. <laughs> oh, my kids, my <laughs> <laughs> I've created, um, like, pretty bizarre hydration systems and I remember one race in Geelong, it was 40 two degrees it was like that it was that few days after those the bushfires and everything it was and i it was just leaking out water everywhere i'd refill the bottle before i could even drink it it was gone again <laughs> and i was like created my own disaster there but that's that was a classic case of over tinkering so mate if the hydration one was a bit of a stinker i mean was there one that you've tried or tinkered with or some sort of thing which has been a bit of a revelation something as small as tire pressure there was just this old school mentality of pump your tyres up to 120 PSI and then I realised pretty quickly when I did some testing on the roads around here and for racing in Port Macquarie, you could literally go half that and go faster. And yet it was just a European tradition, jack them up as hard as they go and you'll go faster because you feel like you're going faster because you're going... But it doesn't quite work that way. So so half yeah. less and, it, and you go faster. I was finding, yeah, compared to going really, really high. But yeah. Why is that, do you think? Is there any... Uh, it's about vertical compliance, so the tyre rolls through the bumps instead of going up and down. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I, this is all stuff I'm writing down actually for next year's Healthy Mind Stuff. <laughs> so, do you like, reckon you can improve your strip, position? Don't strip completely nude in the transition. <laughs> like, what's this, what's the second one? Uh, pump your tyres lower, and uh, basically, if you need to shit, to shit yourself. Like Timmy, Timmy <laughs> told us. <laughs> With that, like you talk about, we, we caught up at a randomly at a birthday party, you know, the other week. You said the amateur guys hate pros coming back and racing. What what is what's the go with that? Because I know in every other sport, we'd love to have a pro 
come back and play footy with you or surf, you know, yeah. in the Lee Bar or whatever. Like, why is it so different in your sport? Oh, I don't think uh, – I think it would be more the higher end age groupers. I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush, but okay. definitely the top level age groupers I think have – a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about pros. Maybe because they gave it a good crack, didn't quite get there. Yeah. They've got this conspiracy theory that every pro is on performance-enhancing drugs and yet there's never, like, there's, there's never, especially from the Aussie guys I've raced with forever, never seen anything like that. And yet it only comes from those guys that didn't quite make it pro. Mm. So I think they, they put the work in or whatever. Or they always say, well, oh, if I quit my job, yeah, I'd, I'd be... I was like, well, quit your job, mate. I'll tell you how stressful it was, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a fun experience for three years wondering if you're going to be able to pay your rent each week. So uh, I think... And I, so I think when you come back and you start beating them in an age group, they consider it, well, you had 10 years racing as a pro. Wow. You don't... You know, you got an advantage over us. And, and uh, so I think that's... That's probably the bigger, the bigger issue, yeah. But I, I don't think it's from the majority of amateur athletes. I think they probably welcome you back. It's just that they're overly competitive guys. So you've now been married for some time, three boys, still a professional athlete. I mean, how do you manage the balance between family, travel? Pretty well until this year. <laughs> this year is hard with no schools and Monica going back to work more and She's a doctor too. Yeah, so yeah. she's a doctor and she was typically doing two days a week and now she's doing four and uh, having the boys, three boys at home was a big shock to the system for me. And <laughs> what, are the, what age are the boys? Uh, two, five and eight. Mm. He's yeah. in the hard period. Mate, what's your most creative session you've come up with while having three boys and you've had to get a session in? Uh, well, the funny thing is I haven't had to do too much uh, training this time around, because I just get up at 4am and get it done, I can't handle the stress of having the kids interrupt every time. Although the other day on Sunday, I got on the bike, did a trainer set, and uh, Mon had and had all the neighbours' kids over there as well. And I said, like, oh, that'll be right, they'll look after each other. I found out later, Mon goes, you know they all drink your caffeine electrolyte tablets. <laughs> 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 They're all walking around pretty buzzed. And, <laughs> and what were you doing? And I was like, oh... I don't know what happened, but I was <laughs> sweating it out on the bike in the garage. <laughs> I was painting the roof. <laughs> Doing heaps of responsible stuff. So moving forward, how do you think you'll handle that? Oh, no, it'll be, it'll be fine. When, I, when you know a race is definitely on, uh, I still th- it's hard because I have had to do training camps to really get into shape to win races. The downside of that is I miss the kids like crazy and my wife, obviously. So it's, it's, I think it's just a necessary evil at this point. It's so hard to... It's not hard to get the training in. It's just the recovery. You know, at 35, you, I go on a training camp at, at altitude and do literally the same training, but I'm off my feet nearly two to three times as much as I would be at home. And uh, if you're trying to race guys who are in their t- 20s and getting full recovery and constantly living it in a training camp environment, it's just, unfortunately, it's just the, the way I have to, what I have to do now to be competitive. So, mate, looking at your obviously career and that, just recently, obviously following you on Insta and that sort of stuff, mate, the heart stuff. Take us through that. Like, yeah, I, I think it was it was the first time I've had a lot of heart issues over the years, and that's really common for endurance athletes. There's, uh, I actually spoke to a cardiologist down in Melbourne who is the guru for heart athletes and heart issues, and he said at one stage, fifty percent of the Australian rowing team all had heart issues at one time. Really? Yeah. yeah. He, and 
the good thing was I, after I was pretty worried. But I spoke to him and he said it's pretty normal. And it's just it's just a stressed out muscle and it can start to misfire. And right. it has happened a, a bit over the, my career, but it never lasted more than six or seven minutes, and then it'd snap back into rhythm. So what and did you have, like a rhythmia, or what was I it? I had like a- atrial fibrillation, and it's um, yeah, it was just I I, <laughs> I was at home. Finished a pretty big day's training. I'd pushed it so that I could have a weekend off with the family. So I hadn't taken that usual rest day. And I was lying in bed eating ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently the cold can really trigger the heart into a weird rhythm. And we just and uh, I was finishing off a tiny bit of coaching work or something and then boom, it went. And I went downstairs and said to my wife, you know, oh, something's not right with my heart. <laughs> She's just, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> but luckily, luckily, she, luckily, she had a friend there who was a doctor as well. So I went to her next and said, something's not right with my heart. And she, she took my pulse and goes, yeah, you need to go to hospital. And so my wife made me drive myself to hospital. <laughs> I've got the kids, so yeah. you drive yourself to hospital. Yeah, so, and it, yeah, they, they just shock you back into rhythm and it's, Hasn't been an issue since, thankfully. I've just stopped being. The biggest thing is I have really high electrolyte losses, so I have to be really so careful. You sweat badly. Is that what it is? Or it's not the volume; it's okay. the concentration. So and I'm literally like three times the salts that Burks loses, for example. So if I'm not careful, and if I do a lot of heat stress and a lot of training, it, that can just flick the heart out of rhythm. So, so on a long race, you just got like a Himalayan salt. Thing and you just <laughs> <laughs> like, is that but kind of pretty where pretty much like, like if you drink if you drink yeah. the drink that I drink in the race, and you weren't needing the salt, it would taste really horrible to you. Yeah, but as you get really depleted, it just yeah, suddenly just, tastes really awesome. So you've got yeah. like salt, like big salt. Yeah, I just mix. I just have really high electrolyte yeah. drinks. Yeah. What is just quickly? What is your resting heart rate? So when I'm fit, like it'll get it, give me an average of like 38, 39 Fuck through oh. the night. Ah, I'd be dead. Well, I got mine at forty five. I thought I was yeah. winning because <laughs> I looked at the AFL players get around forty, I think, or forty one. Yeah. So these guys are resting, resting. Yeah. So like at the at the top of their yeah, yeah, season yeah. or whatever, when they sleep, they've tracked some of the better midfielders yeah, in the right. AFL at about. 40 or 41, I think. Reedy, what's the lowest you've ever heard resting heart rate? Oh, but there's yours? a guy called Greg Welsh. You might have heard oh, yeah, of him. Yeah, Apparently, yeah. he would get down to like 32, 33. Oh. Yeah. Wow. As a, your wife being a doctor, what's, how close is that to... Well, even when I had my heart issue, normally they put you on beta blockers. Well, they give you medication that just keeps your heart rate down. And they said, we can't give you any of the medication because you'll literally die through the night because your heart rate will get too low. <laughs> so then they just said, you know, stop being an idiot and training so hard. So that was the – but other people can just, yeah, they have to take beta blockers to keep their heart rate down. So, yeah, but, it, I mean, you would have heard the stories about the pro cyclist back in the days yeah. who was taking so much EPO. They'd have an alarm go off if they went below, like, 34, 35 wow. to get up and walk around the room. <laughs> and then they could, yeah. Did you, do you sleep well when you – like, if you have a big day training, you do a couple hundred Ks and run – you know, 30Ks, would you have a bad night's sleep? Like yeah, shit ass. Like, like, you don't sleep that well. Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, like, there's this like sweet spot. And, and that, yeah, it's, that's basically when I know I've just got to take a day or two yeah. off. But th- there's this false premise that you train hard, you sleep better. You, you don't. don't, eh? After about 15 hours, or 15 hours of training a week, sleep awesome. Yeah. Once I'm up to 20, not so good. 25, crap. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you try and stay at around... Oh, I just try and push it. I just accept some nights are going to be bad and then I yeah, yeah, take the rest days when I need it. Yeah, okay. You touched on the fact that you were lying in bed eating ice cream and finishing off some coaching. Yeah. I mean, yep. is that something for the future? Are you doing more coaching now? Yeah, well, I mean, my background background's in exercise fears and, and I 
have always coached, even when, you know, there was no need for it financially. It was... Oh, so just, all the way through your career. I've, I've never stopped, yeah. I, I just have always really enjoyed, especially working with younger pros. It's just been something I've enjoyed and uh, I get to use them as my sort of um, test guinea pigs and learn from them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's helped me as well, but it's been... it's. As an athlete, I think you're super selfish and it's just the one thing that I can do that I feel like I feel a bit better about myself, trying to ease the guilt a little bit. And I, and I really enjoy it. And so, yeah, I, I would say 100% I'll end up coaching after racing. And is that sort of picking up as in more athletes? Yeah, I'm doing? taking on a few more um, athletes, mainly because I wanted to do a few more, a bit more local um, training with other people as well. So uh, I also think in Australia there's a bit of a lack of pro coaches, so I'm trying to... So when you're coaching um, young triathletes, are you trying to – how do you map out a coaching session for someone? Yeah, like so we, we just – I just send them their plan each week and I check in on it. It's a program and yeah. I can check in on their session. I get an alert as soon as they finish the session. Yeah. They look right. at their heart rate, look at their power. They can write a little comment how it went. And, uh, yeah, so that's basically how I coach and we try and do a fair And are you just together. measuring off like a Garmin or something like that? Like yeah. what their heart rate is? So you, they would finish the session? Save it, automatically uploads to their phone, yeah, sends no, across send to my program. Yeah, okay. yep. So um, the Ball and All podcast, so we've got an athlete, um, Eli Carr, that we sponsor. Would you be keen to take him on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm only looking after pros at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> he probably made more money than a couple of the yeah, pros. Yeah. <laughs> I think he raised more money. Yeah. <laughs> What are you looking for when a young athlete does come to you, though, and says, you know, Tim Reid, can you coach me? What are the attributes you look for in him to make you want to, you know, donate your time and your heart sort of thing to, to helping him? Oh, I think part of me is a little bit of a gambler as well. It's nice to have a horse in the race, and I really love it when they, see, when they do well. Like, I'm really pumped about it. The other side of it is I see a lot of kids just wasting a lot of their time or – certain talents and who just trying to do too much you know um so it's i guess part of it is talent but also just work ethic and then i also have taken on a lot of pros during their last year and they're just like oh, i just want to give it one more crack or you know and we just try a totally different approach just sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i like i don't really i'm not really chasing the pro who's already doing super well and then because I feel like there's nothing – why would you interrupt the flow that much, you know? So I enjoy taking on guys who I look at it and I'm like, you, you're doing way too much or not enough or whatever it is. You, there's something stand out about them that you, and also you know they've got the talent, which is always exciting. Do you see, like, when you get someone like that, that they excel in maybe one of the disciplines or two of them and then they're just – like, they're fucked in the other one? You're like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like – we won't even swim, mate. You'll just fucking have to get way better at running. Or, like, is it like that? Yeah. Or you just go to the week, week one? Or? You've got to do all disciplines. So they do. Obviously, you do. Yeah, but, yeah like, but you see that a lot. And, you, and, and on the other one. you take the gamble sometimes with a swim biker, see if you can get his run going. Yeah. And, and a runner who can't swim. That's, yeah. that's part of the fun. I think the, the most interesting thing for me is the people who are super trainers and leave it all out in the training but they don't get the stress or the anxiety and never lift to another level on race day yeah had a lot of guys who just train amazing and just don't lift on race day and then i've had guys a guy called sam appleton who's one of the best Mm. in the world yeah and he uh he would train terribly but then he's he would get quite anxious for races and he would just lift to a whole nother level on race day and so it's it's interesting you can 
you can't you can't judge a athlete by their training. Really, it's all what happens on race day in the end. And so, have, yeah, have so you had a few of those athletes that you have you raced against a few yeah. of the guys? You go, like, Mate, are they this is Sam Appleton yeah. kid. Coached him for two <laughs> years, and then he was paying me almost nothing. So. <laughs> And then he started beating me and I worked out like from a couple of races of like, mate, you've just cost me 12 grand. And I was, I was hinting at him he needs to lift his fee and maybe pay me a commission or something. And so he went to another coach. <laughs> oh, but no, I actually put... I, it That's was the dark the, arts right yeah. there, isn't it? <laughs> oh, mate, put the heat on you. If there's one bloke, I know there's a guy in the room who may need a coach soon, but um, is there, if there's one guy you could coach in triathlon, who would it be? Oh, there's a guy called Max Newman who won Cairns this year. And yeah. there's another kid who I do coach called Steve McKenna and both those kids, Aussie kids, and they've just got so much mongrel. That McKenna, he works another ton of jobs at night. Yeah, too, so that, that's, like, he's the, the sort of guy I have to say, mate, put your law degree on hold, do this, do that. Or what, I didn't actually tell him that, but I was like, just chill out. You've got that much talent. Like these kids can, you know, you could put them at 10K tomorrow and then run sub 30 sort of thing. You know, like they're that good and they swim – they could swim 100 metres in 104, you know, just flying. Yeah. And Same as me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, he'd be one of those guys I'd love to. But he's the same thing. He's, he's going really well. I'll, I'll wait till he's having a bit of a shit patch and then I'll send him a message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, uh, this, is the, uh, this is the interesting part where we move into the Barnsley Ballback question. Um, so tonight, Woody, you're going to be first off. All right. Mine's about eating dinner. Who you having, mate? Three other people. Dead or alive, famous, family, friends, whatever it may be. Who, who you having down for a steak or some hot chips, whatever oh. you want. Um, no, I, don't, I definitely have Burks because he laughs at my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have my younger sister, Anna. Yep. She's yeah, just okay. a lot of fun. And uh, I'll say Glenn Corrupt Vision, our photographer dude, he's just a, lot of, he's a good dude, a lot of fun. Easy. Yeah. Take that. Yeah. Favourite ever triathlete? Who's the guy that's like oh, most like, inspiring? Like It's actually the same as what Burkle said, but Craig Alexander's yeah. always been the man really? for me. Yeah. He's just most, you know, most top end pros, you, you get to know them and they sort of lose their shine a little bit because they're like everyone, they're just human. Yeah. But he's just a stand up dude out of, outside of racing. So Does he help a lot of the younger blokes? Is he just a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, but he's also, I like that he's... He's quite opinionated. He's mm. got he's got a lot of mongrel in him. He's just a uh, and he's funny. Like he's just fun. You know he's he's got this um, I guess persona that's very professional in front of the camera. And it's not that he's ever unprofessional, but he is just a, a really good personality. And you can you can sort of debate over topics and have the you know good arguments with him. And and also just yeah, he looks out for us young guys. Got a real passion for helping the young younger Australian guys. Us young guys, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, mate. I'm with you. We're young. I got, and so, what about when you're in that four pack with him in America? You were saying you race. Yeah, was mate. that kind of like the one big race you well, had with him? He's 44 now, or 45. I don't know. But when he's on the start line, you're still sort of like shit. He's you know, fucking, like yeah, he's, he's still that here. good. And yeah. there was a time I think he went went he won like 30 70 point threes or. More twenty in a row on the trot, yeah. Just back in to a back row. to back, Far yeah. Like around. unbelievable. He, he's just a he was just a freak mentally, just the most hard ass athlete out there. So, so is he coaching now? Is he? No, he. I mean, I'd say he's pretty set for. He doesn't wouldn't have to work, but I yeah. mean, he's he still races occasionally. Turns up, puts in six weeks and beats us all. <laughs> no, nah, but he's he's still right up there when he does put his mind to it. Yeah. So if Craig Alexander's played. 
the athlete you most respect or admire in that sort of sport, mate, who's the best? Is it Jan Frodeno? Is it it's hard? Sebastian it's hard Canal looking or? through the eras, you know. Yeah, and and I, I think I always find it hard to separate personality from athlete. I don't really know Jan, but like I relate to people like Crowey, who's balanced three kids, and Jan's got a couple of kids. I don't know, but I've never seen his life, you know. Um, I think you'd have to look at uh, like you've got to look at the guy that did it across all different forms of the sport and Jan Farino is probably the man in that respect but then I you know there's other guys there's the other guys that come into the argument but Crowe would be right up there Alistair Brownlee gold yeah. medalist but also just changed one of those athletes who changed the way everyone raced Olympic distance racing because he could just it used to be just a swim really hard swim everyone would ride together on the bike and then the fastest runner would win and he just if he was injured he would just come and blow everyone away on the bike you know like just, and suddenly everyone had to learn to ride again. You know, like, he, he's just one of those freak athletes who could have gone to the Olympics for running. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, he's just the, he's just really, uh, really, really talented. Uh, so, yeah, he'd be up there as well. All right. You got any others, Woody? Nah, mate, that's everything. That, that was epic. Thank you. Oh, well, I've got a few here. If there's any lead balloons, I'll cut them out. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I managed to get uh, Burke's a free coffee last week. So, mate, you're uh, the best coffee on the Northern Rivers. Who is it? Oh, I spent a lot of time at, I don't know if it's still the name of it now, William Street Cafe. What's the name oh, of that yeah. now? Yeah. It's still William Street. Well, it's literally one minute walk from my house. So, I just like their um, Karachi chicken burger. Oh, Gluten free. with And because they always give me the cider chips. Perfect. Every day. Dang on the side. <laughs> All right. Um, Elliot Kipchoge, mate. You know, what he did with the marathon last year, like I, I must admit, I got I got so excited. Yeah. When he broke the two the, the two hours, I was like, wow. Mate, some of my mates that are running about fucking three metres bought those shoes. They're like, fuck, <laughs> we're doing it. We're going. <laughs> so Roof's got a pair. I think, yeah, yeah, so he's constantly, he's actually probably running right now. I think he's got to four metres. <laughs> mate, so, that, like, mate, I loved it, but let's look at the, the realities of it. How much has that changed the game in terms of the Nike running shoe and what that means to your sport? Yeah, well, this is one of the things I've been testing nonstop since these carbon-plated shoes come out. I've just done hours and hours of testing efficiency of different shoes, and it's a game-changer. I mean, I remember I made Burks do some testing one day, and he was, you were something like, nine beats quicker at three minute 20k pace in these shoes compared to normal shoes uh nine heart rate lower sorry for the same pace so you know it's just it is a game changer and um to be honest i sort of like running being that purest form i don't think there should be any propulsion in the shoe but it's happened now got to live with it but yeah kipchoge's it's it's pretty cool like what he's doing um he's also a classic (laughs) classic case of the pro athlete that everyone adores and then you watch his interview. He's like, "Oh yeah, I don't spend it. I don't spend the week with my kids so I can train properly." And then he sees them on the weekend, and I'm like, "This is the classic sacrifices that everyone skips over." Yeah, you know. So there's always a huge cost on it, everyone mm. around him, to, for him to do what he does. You know. So I see that side of it as well with with all athletes. Do you admire him though for what he's done? Like, do you, do you think that's a great step forward for us, or you, you're waiting to see him doing it in a proper race? Oh, I admire his mentality in racing. Yeah, and you you see him finish even when he's his mindset and the way he talks is you can see he's got that he's got the mindset to to be great you know so I admire that for sure. Uh, in terms of the sub two hour thing, I mean that that didn't excite me at all because it's not a race situation. You're drafting off cars, all that. It just doesn't really do it for me. But I think he's the one athlete who could potentially do it. 
in an actual race situation. What's it? What's he got? What's the closest he's got in a regular race? Is it like one? Is it? Or? Yeah, they they're pretty close. It's yeah. like a minute out yeah. or something. Yeah. So, yeah, that's no, all right, mate. Last one. I, I know you've loved a whole lot of sports, mate. If you could go back and be present at one sporting event in the history of say sport, where would it be? And oh, mate, I've always been a huge fan of tennis. So I probably when Leighton Hewitt won. Everyone used to rip Leighton, and I used to see him, you know, just overly competitive and chuck a little hissy fit, and I was like, that's me. You so know? Any, one, <laughs> any one particular Leighton Hewitt moment? Oh, the Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I reckon, for sure. Mate, he is one of the most mentally tough blokes, yeah. period, Leighton Hewitt. So, mate, that's a great, great choice. That's me, Kondo. You're up, big fella. Uh, so, Kondo's got two questions. First question is, um, as a pro athlete, what's the biggest thing you've learnt in your period of continuing to be a pro athlete from start to finish i don't want to be a bit of a downer on the night but i think my biggest lesson is a bit what i was touching on before is that success comes at a cost you know for any it doesn't matter what you're in everyone admires Mm. people who are at the top of their game and and the one thing i've seen is whether it's in business whether it's everything comes at a cost and some of the most the most uh, people i admire just the most are the people that actually have kept a balance and aren't crazy successful in things. Like my wife is a classic example of someone who gave up her, you know, she's very, very clever and, you know, she could have done anything she wanted, but she married me (laughs) 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 and her dreams just disappeared. (laughs) So, But, you know, she's kept it. She was a great mum. She just worked you know, she's kept it all in a great balance and yet there's no public recognition for that. And I always just think it's a bit bizarre. You know, that's what I've learned in pro sport is I I understand that it's not quite what everyone from the public perceives. <laughs> that's a freaking great yeah, point. Yeah, it's a great point. You even kind of see that in the Jordan docker, I reckon. Oh, all even of those guys. Oh, look, yeah. Even can, at the but, end of But the you touch on – I mean, I've worked with plenty of guys where you see that as well in business, 100%. There's sacrifices yeah. all, all along the way, 100%. Kelly, Kelly's like that. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you can switch it off at a point. Because yeah. you, you, the power – It's hard to know when to. So though. Michael Jordan could have ended his career the first time yeah. and then he could have done amazing things for so many people. And, you know, and maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. But So that was, that's given him some power to do it. But you see people that can never switch it off, yeah. you know. So that's – yeah, I think that would be a hard one to do too when you you've obviously get to that point because you like how you are. So second question is you have a reputation for being a good family man. What's the most important thing that you've found so far with three young kids, uh, a wife who's got, you know, obviously a very good profession um, to find the right balance? Yeah, I think uh, honestly the, with three kids, I think the one-on-one time has been huge. Monica and I, and I both discovered how important and it, it is for us to actually – take one of the boys, go to the beach with just one kid, spend mm. time with him, chat to him. Uh, that's been really – we've probably really only cottoned on to that in the last 18 months, just noticed how much we can change poor behaviour or issues we're having at home. And, uh, yeah, that's probably one big Was thing. that your idea or Monica's? <laughs> I just thought if I can take one, that's a lot easier than having three. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking great call, but it That is, is a really good one. Yeah. So Timbo, in wrapping up, mate, just um, just give us a rundown on on how how next year twenty one how does it look for Timbo Reid? 
you know, I think if we can get this vaccine sorted, I really hope so. It'll be back to yeah. sort of full tilt. I mean, I'd, I've only got one Australian sponsor. So for me, it's really important to, to get, get over, over oh, the overseas. rest are American, are they? American, yeah, we had a uh, Philippine sponsor, but yeah, everything else is in America. So I need to get yeah. over there. Is there yeah. a few big, is besides the Hawaiian Ironman, is there quite a few big events? Yeah, so place? I'll probably, I don't think I'll. I'm, I'm not saying I won't be there, but I'm not going to focus on Hawaii anymore. It's just too, like, I think uh, I'm going to stick to what I'm quite good at. So I'll target 70.3 world champs. If if the world championship rotated to a cooler location, I'd be there for sure. <laughs> like uh, Antarctica? Or? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've been pushing for Antarctica a long time. No one's listening. <laughs> but, yeah, and also, like, I want to, there's a couple of guys I'm working with who will target Kona, and I, I just want to try and help oh, them. Yep. Yep. So when you say target Kona, does that mean you have to be there? I'll probably be there. Yeah, I'd say so. Even for sponsors, I think it's just. So important. will you be riding the bike, running into? I was the thinking <laughs> I'll probably ride, and then if they get a flat tire, I can hook them a wheel, and then I don't have to do the run. <laughs> I'm just wondering on those Ironmans, who the hell changes your tires? So 2017 had yeah. a shocker year. Defending, I got to 70.3 worlds. Got influenza A the week before the race. Still did the race because I wanted the appearance fee, but I was way back and embarrassed myself. Finally got fit for Kona, and I was in third, blew a tyre, and they didn't have the right wheel for my bike, and it's just it's like game over. Game over. So Fuck. you basically, oh. you, they do have spare wheels, but it's a bit, a bit hit and miss. Like, you could be waiting there a long time. So it's uh, not like cycling where it's whack it in and away you go. So if you puncture a tyre, you're screwed? No, you, it would have been fine, but there was thumbtacks on the road. So three guys got punches, then me. Oh. And so in the space of 5K, they'd run out of wheels. So then I had to wait for the amateur motorbike, for the amateur guys racing. So it was sort of a, bit of a hard oh, day. That's heavy. From, uh, from the boys here, from Woody, Barnsley, myself, uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, the last potty of the year, as far as a guest, we're not real sure what we're doing next week for the, the uh, ball and all Christmas party. But, uh, mate, again, thank you very much uh, for your generosity of time. Uh, very, very enjoyable. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Timbo. Thanks, mate. Timbo, thank, thank you, you so much, in. mate. I've really enjoyed it. it. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs>